On fire. Ooh, I like that. I think we're warming up for November 6th is what I think. Open your Bibles. We are again this morning into the book of First Thessalonians. And we've been with Paul now for three weeks. And he's been talking about this brand new church that was established in Thessalonica. And he's been worried about the church because he left them. He was continuing to be persecuted and he knew they had faced some tough issues. But he gets the report back that they are flourishing. And that's the reason why this sermon series is titled Flourishing. We're going to continue today in in actually chapter 3. So if you'll turn your Bibles there. Every newborn child is a bundle of joy. But you better have a bundle of cash to raise that child. On average, it now takes an eye-popping, here's the number, I've got it up behind me, $310,605 to raise a child from birth to 17. On average, that is $18,000 a year that you better be putting aside for each one of them. Denise and I have raised kids, and I can tell you, best money we've ever spent, maybe next to my pickleball paddle, Uh, but you know, I'm just, just saying... Uh, The other thing we've learned, and you know this if you're parents, you're never done raising your kids, so, you know, and you continue to actually spend some time on them. But the thing I want to bring to your attention today is to pour into a life, it costs you. If you're going to pour into a life, it's going to cost you. Parents know that dollars are only one portion of that equation. You figure that out real quickly when you get a baby home. It's costing me my sleep. What is going on here? And so, you know, you you realize very quickly, there's other costs. I'm being interrupted now at the dinner table. Car rides are chaos. I mean, all of these things you're realizing are costs to you for having that child come home. Countless amounts of energy and instruction and prayer are needed to raise every child. And Denise and I, again, are uh, ones who've experienced all of that, and we know that there's many costs that you pay in order to raise children. It costs to raise kids, and in a word, I want to remind you today, it costs to care. If you're going to care for somebody in their life, if you're going to care and minister to other individuals, it is going to cost you. And making disciples is no different. It's a labor of love that's going to require all kinds of physical and mental and social and spiritual capital in order to care. Each time you care for the spiritual needs of somebody else, you risk something. Every time you're having a potential cost that is incurred to you. Every time time you go on a missions trip, you are beginning to care for somebody else's life. And it's, it's having a weight that's now put upon you in some maybe small or big way. That's what today's passage is all about, the cost of doing ministry. There's a cost to caring, and it's not just a cost that's financial, it's a cost that's spiritual, it's a cost that is emotional. This is, again, the fourth week that we've been with Paul, and uh, he's worried about this young church. He had to leave them, he's worried about them, and so, again, persecution has continued to follow him in whatever city he's gone to. He's worried that maybe they have not done well, but he sent Timothy to them. Timothy's come back, and he's come back with a very good report. And so again, this is Paul writing back to the church once Timothy's returned, and this is what he says. I'm in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, 
And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one will be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it's come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you and face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This year, Yankee slugger Aaron Judge set the all-time record for the most home runs in a single season. He set the record on October 4th with 60, number 62, the most home runs again ever hit in a single season. But Aaron Judge is not the guy that I want to focus upon this morning. I've got the guy in the right of the picture behind me that I want to focus upon because his name is Corey Yeomans, I think is the way you pronounce his name, 35-year-old from Dallas, Texas. And he caught the ball very easily. I think he's uh, left-handed, so he caught the ball in his right hand. You might see the glove. Is it barely noticeable? Yeah, it's there. It's kind of black up in the right-hand corner. And he caught the ball just outright. And he caught the ball, and it is a very expensive catch for him. Here's why. That ball is estimated to be worth $2 to $4 million. Little did Corey knew, know that this souvenir would have tax consequences to it. <laughs> the ball, worth probably a minimum of $2 million, automatically vaults him into the upper echelons of financial income for the year. He will owe a cool 35% on that ball, which is estimated again at $2 million, so he owes $600,000 to Uncle Sam. Guarantee you, nobody thought about that before the game started. But that's the harsh reality, again, of the tax system within the country that we live in. And the IRS will be paying dear Corey a visit. There is a cost to catching that ball. Let me make my transition. There is also a cost to us any time that we are entering into the lives of others. In this passage, Paul has sacrificed a lot already. And of course, he's undergone persecution in order to bring the gospel to them. But he says there are some other costs that he has borne, and those are what he is going to talk with us about today. What are the costs of ministering to people? 
as we begin to understand this and begin to take that in, I want to draw your attention back to the ping pong balls that we covered maybe a month ago now. These represent the lives of individuals that you want to come to see know the Lord. You have that little list at home, my friends list, and your five friends are on it. I hope it's on a mirror somewhere or somewhere where you can look at it regularly and think about those friends, pray for those friends. Again, that represents the lives of that in this little container over here. And here's what I want to tell you. Paul's saying there's going to be, and God's saying, there's going to be a cost potentially to you to care for those individuals and to see some of them come to know the Lord. Maybe you're thinking right now about a Sunday school class that you help lead, or maybe you're thinking about, again, a community group that you're in, or some neighbors that you're caring for, or the kid down the street. I don't know, but in order to enter the lives of individuals and care for them, there is a cost to that, and that's what Paul wants to talk to us about today. So let's go over, again, some of the costs that Paul articulates. Some of them, you know, they're on the surface, and you can pick them right off. But others might be a little bit hidden, and so I want to bring these to your attention today. All right, here's the first cost that Paul wants to talk about, potential disappointment. In verse 5, he said, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. Paul has sent Timothy. It's probably taken about a month. He's in Athens. He sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. It's probably taken about a month. He comes back. And he's on pins and needles because he's saying, I don't know if this church is doing okay or not. And he sees Timothy walk up the way and he's like, Timothy, how are they doing? And Timothy says, man, have I got great news for you. He says, they are doing so well. They're following the Lord. They're loving each other well. And they're keeping to the faith. And so again, Paul was so worried because he was risking again so much in bringing this to them. And he's risking disappointment that somehow they might not be doing well. Paul is ecstatic He says, now we have true joy. We truly live because he's been so beat down along the way and he's been worried if they tube out, boy, it's gonna be just such a a difficulty for me. And so now he realizes they're doing well and well, he's very, very invigorated. Every time Paul gives out energy or the gospel, he risks being disappointed and so do you. Every time you enter into the life of somebody else and perhaps they know that you're a Christian or somehow they know that you're praying for them in some way, you risk being labeled as a religious nutcase. That's just our society today and that's something that you bear the cost of every time you're associating with the Lord Jesus. Every time you want to give somebody some, something spiritual in their life or something even physical in their life, again, there's something that you're giving up for that. A few years ago, we sent a mission, small group missions, small missions team to uh, Montana. And they went to a reservation called Rocky Boy. And again, I'm dating myself. This is a, a, like a lot of years ago. And um, when they went, they went to minister to this, this tribe of, of people. And uh, the, the way that they went, they said, you know, hey, we'll do whatever it takes. Well, there were powwows that were being formed in the area on the Rocky Boy Reservation. And those were gatherings where they would come together for cultural meetings. They would obviously share food, music, dance together uh, in, in native ways of, of, the, of, the, of the tribe there. And um, they said, we'll help in whatever way is needed. And they said, well, great. Uh, one of the ways you could help us in these big gatherings is to pick up trash. The, the students said, uh, we got it. We're on it. We'll do it. Well, little did they know that some would consider them uh, not friendly and didn't really want them there. And so they would come and take their trash and come towards the trash receptacle and stop just short and drop it because they knew it was their job to come and pick it up and clean it up. And so they kind of went through a better part of a week 
of seeing that kind of action happen. And, you know, just, it was just Rocky. Uh, Rocky boy was, well, boy, well suited. I mean, it was a Rocky in order to be able to interact with those people. And it was very evident, again, not all of them really wanted them there. And so, again, you face a potential disappointment every time you uh, enter into the lives of somebody else and you face the, the possibility that they won't really want you in their space and you face this, this, this possibility that, again, you will have energy that you're giving out and that won't somehow be returned to you. All right, that's number one, potential disappointment. Number two is you face giving a love beyond your own comfort. Verse 12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each and every, each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. So Paul mentions next that they are to be characterized by love and it's a costly kind of love, a love that is beyond their own comfort. Paul says that they have already been expressing love but he wants them to express that still even more and he says i'm praying that god's love will expand in you it will be increased in you it'll overflow in you it'll be a super abundant kind of love and so again we might see that kind of love in first corinthians 13 a love that again is super abundant a love that is rejoicing with the truth bearing with the truth believing the truth hoping all things enduring all things that's the quality of the love that he wants but he is also saying that I want this love to be uh, super abundant. I want it to be available. And I, and I want it to be available both in the church as well as outside the church. Now again, if you've been around church long, if you're around people in church and they don't have a love for each other, <laughs> the hope of them sp- spreading that love out to somebody else is, well, non-existent. You've got to have a love for each other that's going to start right here. And so that's the first sphere of our love, the first people that we're going to love. But it can't stop there. It's also got to expand and it's got to go out to other individuals who are not part of us, maybe even individuals that would even be considered enemies of ours at times. And that's the cost. That's what it costs to minister and give love to other individuals. And sometimes we're giving love to the individuals that are, again, unlovely because that's one of the greatest costs that you may ever bear. That's what, again, we do regularly is that we are sharing love even if it's not being returned to us and even if it's not working out the way that we want it to work out. And you all have times in your life where perhaps you've gone and you've expressed love and nothing's been returned back to you and you just say, wow, was that all useless? The Lord says, no, not useless at all. That's what I call you to do and that sometimes is just part of my will for you. It's part of you loving me, whether or not you ever get something back for it or not. And Paul says, that's the kind of love that I have given to this church, whether or not they were going to express in return. And now I'm charging that church to give that same kind of love. And that's a cost that we bear is sometimes God causes us or calls us to give love that's well beyond what we think we should give. All right, here's number three, giving what is needed. Verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Paul repeatedly says uh, that he wants to see them again. And he says, when we see you again, we want to do it face to face. There's just so much that can happen by transfer of this letter. And it's not unimportant that he's writing to them. But he's saying, it doesn't make up for my time with you. I want to be with you face to face. 
there's a lot we learned during the pandemic about technology. And we learned, boy, there's a great thing called Zoom, and there's a great thing that's uh, live streaming that we were able to do and we became proficient at. But I'm here to tell you, it did not make up for face-to-face, cheek-to-cheek, hand-to-hand ministry. That is what is the bread and butter of the church and always will be. We'll never graduate from that. That's just you know, the way, again, that ministry so often happens. And Paul is saying, that's what I want to have with you. I want to be back with you in person. And then he says a very interesting thing, again, in verse 10. He says, I want to be with you for what's lacking in your faith. Or what is, uh, yeah, that's what he says in verse 10, what's lacking in your faith. And it may sound like that he's really down on the church, like that somehow they have a defective faith, that somehow they have a half-baked faith. But that's not really what this word means, and that's not what Paul was trying to communicate to them. The word actually, lacking in your faith, means that he wishes to supply them, he wishes to give them what is already there, but make it even greater. He wishes to make it full and complete and in full operation. Let me give you an example of that. The Greek philosopher Plutarch wrote about Alexander the Great, and he said Alexander the Great was taught by Aristotle, who gave him full supply or gave him what was lacking is the the way that this word again is translated. So Alexander the Great was not a guy that was lacking very much, but he's saying this philosopher came alongside of him to make him even better, to expand him even more. And that's what Paul's trying to say here is that we want to come alongside of you and we want to give you whatever's lacking in your faith. Whatever's lacking in your church, we're going to hopefully supply that. We're going to pray. God's going to supply that. We're going to supply that as is needed in order to make you fully battle ready. And so he's saying that's what you do. That's the cost, again, of caring for somebody is that you're assessing what their needs are and as much as you're as able, you're helping to provide that. I want to give you an example of some dear saints that we know in Cuba. And I have a picture here of uh, Frank, or excuse me, of Ayana and Litsandra. And Ayana and Litsandra are to the left of that picture right there. Here's Litsandra coming up a road. This is a, a jungle area way out in the, in, in the remote parts of Cuba. And they're coming to that pastor that is right there in the middle of the picture. That's the church that he ministers uh, at. They, my friends, Ayana and Lissandra, are with Action International, and they serve there. They're Cuban. And uh, one of the things that they do is they just regularly are assessing what are happening with the churches all over Cuba, and they're supplying whatever's needed. And so in this case, the donkey's coming up the road, and I think that there were some supplies for that little church to offer some renovation to it. There were Bibles. There was some food stuff. So anything that was needed, they were bringing up that very, very desolate road in order to get to them and provide that. That's a great example of what my friends are regularly doing in Cuba to supply what's needed. Now, we said, well, you know, what could we do for Ian and Lissandro? Well, here's what's going on in Cuba right now. It, times are really tough. And food is very scarce. The supply of energy, right now, if you get electricity, you're getting it for two to four hours a day. That's all you get. And so, again, life is very difficult for our friends. Well, we found out that what they needed was called a power inverter. And so I have a picture of this next. And if you give me the next one, it's got a little battery on it. There it is. And the battery uh, that they have, they have a car battery. And they are able to use that power inverter that we actually sent them because we said, well, this is something that they need. So Amazon, here we came, and we didn't send it by Amazon. It got carried into the country. 
But that little power inverter now is used with that battery to provide power in their house on the, on the times when they don't have electricity. And so again, we figured out, well, that's one of the things that they needed. And boy, it was a joy to give that and to provide that for them in order that they could be more fully functional, as it were, as missionaries in Cuba. Are you ministering to somebody right now? Somebody in your small group. Maybe it's somebody that's in the youth group. An elderly person. There is something that is needed in order to encourage them and continue them on in the faith. And maybe the biggest cost to you may be figuring out what that is, but that's one of the things that's the cost of caring is that you're saying, what's next for that individual? How do we help that individual? How do we help that group of people? And as best as you can, supplying what is needed to propel them on in the faith. All right, there's one more I want you to see, and it's one that we shouldn't take lightly. It's diligent prayer. Paul says, night and day, we pray most earnestly for you. And Paul is saying that he spent hours of prayer over this little church. Verse 10, again, is, is, he's telling us just how much. Night and day, he says. It's not just a little bit of prayer. It's a bunch of prayer. And he actually lists in verses 11 and 12 and 13 what he's praying for them. And so he says, I want to make you, I'm praying to the Lord that he make you increase and abound in love for one another so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're ever wondering how you might pray for some individuals that you're caring for, that's a great prayer. Is that, again, they'll be established in love and that they'll be prepared in holiness for the coming of our Lord. Oftentimes, we enter into care for other individuals and we do it with just good intentions and the own, there are our own gifts that God's given to us. That's not enough supernatural strength, supernatural insight is what we need in order to help these individuals along. And that means time on your knees, not through just your mouth, not through just your hands, but prayer for those individuals. And that is a cost to all of us. It's a cost in our time. It's a cost in our humility. It's a cost in sacrificing of our own agenda and so again, that's something, again, that all of us are called to do. It's a cost we bear for caring for other individuals. In 1982, the Today Show was going to interview Reverend, the Reverend Billy Graham in New York's uh, Times Square. When he arrived at the studio, one of the program's producers informed Graham's assistant that a private room had been set up for him so he could go and pray before the broadcast. The assistant thanked the producer with a thoughtful gesture, but told him that Mr. Graham would not be needing that room. And the producer looked a bit shocked that a world-famous Christian leader and evangelist would not wish to pray before he was being interviewed on national television. Graham's assistant responded, Mr. Graham started praying when he got up this morning. He prayed while he was eating breakfast. He prayed on the way over in the car, and he'll probably be praying all the way through the interview. And that really represents, again, the kind of persistent prayer that, well, Billy Graham had all of his ministry life. And it represents the kind of prayer we have for individuals that God brings into our lives. The cost of prayer will always be needed. And every time we are entering into the lives of ministering to other people, they become very dear to us in prayer. And again, I'm not sure that we take that into account enough or that we think that that's as valuable as our Lord does or as valuable as what Paul does. 
But he says that's at the cornerstone of what it means to care for another individual is to have them regularly be a part of your prayers. Well, I want to invite you to do something today. I want to invite you to give your life for the use of God. What this will mean is that it will cost you in some very significant ways. You don't know what those costs will be yet. Are you willing to undergo those costs? Are you willing to release your body to the use of God? In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to make that commitment. The costs of caring for somebody else are huge. And many times we may become overwhelmed by that and we may say, oh, Lord, I don't know where the time is in my schedule to do that kind of thing. Or, or you know, or I'm just too busy for that kind of thing. But that's not what you and I have been called for or not what we've been called to. In fact, I've got a little quote up here that I remember from so many years past. It's a ship and it's uh, William Shedd. He says, the ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what a ship was built for. And so you were built for being in the lives of other individuals. You were built for caring for those individuals. And you were built for bearing the cost of even the care of those individuals. And every time you begin to do that, God begins to shovel more inside your ship, more that you're able to transport, more that you're able to communicate on his behalf to other individuals. To be a disciple is to be at the Lord's disposal. It means that we've counted the cost, or at least we've considered the cost, and we've said, Lord, I'm willing to undergo that for your sake. So my question is, are you willing? There'll be a cost in growing people in faith. There'll be a cost of seeing somebody come to know Christ. There'll be a cost of seeing somebody grow into their faith. And that could be your kids. It could be a Sunday school class. It could be a neighbor kid. And it could be an individual that's represented by our ping pong balls over here. Are you willing to release your body for the purposes of God? All of your life is what Jesus wishes for. And the question is, are you willing to be that recipient? Are you willing to be that individual that participates with him? I'd like to close this portion of our time together in prayer, and I'd like for you to do something. I'd like for you just to open your hands up right in front of you like this. Father, we have uh, opened our hands symbolically to say we are willing to offer ourselves and our bodies to you. We recognize today, Lord, that we don't even fathom what all of those costs might be. But here's what we do know. You are very able to meet those costs in and through us. In fact, you provide power to us. You provide what seems like even increased time to us every time we're willing to join you. We have no idea right now who some of the individuals are that you're going to ask us to bear costs for. But I pray, Lord, that you would prepare this church and prepare my friends to be the conduits of that kind of love right now. Our hands are open to you saying, Lord, we are open to you. And would you place in our hands all the opportunities and the individuals where you're calling us to care on your behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.